From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President April Kapu, and this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's official podcast bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Our guest today is a nursing pioneer and one of the architects of the Future of Nursing 2020-2030 report. She currently directs the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's Future of Nursing Campaign for Action, which seeks to ensure that everyone in America can live a healthier life, supported by a system in which nurses are essential partners in providing care and promoting health. I am honored to have her as our guest today. Please help me welcome a true legend in the nursing community, Dr. Susan Hassmiller. Welcome to NP Pulse. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Hassmiller. May I call you Sue? Absolutely. And thanks, April, for having me today. Well, it is certainly a pleasure. I must say it has been so impressive to follow you over the past few months. And and certainly as you've led in the development of the Future of Nursing Report 2020-2030. And I want to get to that uh, in just a moment. But first, I wanted to hear just a little bit more about how you got to this point today as one of our leading nurses on this report how did you get here? Tell us a little bit more about your professional journey. Well, I think it—I uh, think I would have to say it all starts with my mother. My mother was a nurse. She was an Air Force nurse, and she actually had to leave the military because she became pregnant with me. She stayed until she was six months, and she started showing, and then they booted her out. But, um, yeah, my mother was my inspiration. She never really told me to be a nurse or really talked to me about it. She just role model that. I saw her come home in her white starched uniform and her stockings and her shoes and her cap. And I would go in sometimes and I would talk to some of her patients. And I think it was uh, really, that was the turning point when, when her patients told me how much my mother meant to, to them. Um, I began mm-hmm. to see her in a different light and I thought, hmm, this nursing gig is not so bad after all. I may look into that. Okay. So then I became a, a candy striper, which was uh, mm-hmm. wonderful. I love that. And then a nurse's aide, um, a usual journey for a lot of nurses today. Um, and then really went to um, my local community college where I got an associate's degree. And I did that because I was engaged at the time and I was going to finish my degree the same time as my fiance finished his four-year degree. And it was all going to be one big dream, happy life. Uh, but it was not to not to come to pass. <laughs> so as soon as I finished my associate's degree, I went right on for my baccalaureate degree at, at Florida State University. And really, that was um, when I was beginning to think, after working on the floor for a number of years as a med surge nurse, I began to think, and, and, and also on, on a uh, cardiology unit, you know, I began to think, Um, that there was a real revolving door. People kept coming back in, uh, the same patients, 
um, not really following directions about diet or uh, or anything. They just wanted the quick fix. And I thought, something's got to be better than this. Um, and mm-hmm. I didn't really know that word public health at the time. But then when I got to Florida State and, and did some more work in the community, I learned what it was like to be a community health nurse and to keep people well in the first place. And that became my love. Wow. Wow. Well, we have similar backgrounds. I have a background um, in cardiology and cardiac surgery. So definitely ah. on the inpatient side of things. So so you decided you were going to look out a little bit further, a little bit broader into community health, and then did a lot between that and today um, in helping to write this Sentinel work. So how did you get there? Because it, it sounds well, like you're part of the Robert Woods Johnson Foundation and a lot of other things. Yeah. So, you know, just to finish up my career a bit, I was I was very involved in the Red Cross and disaster nursing and community. It was all about community nursing. Then, you know, got two masters that had to do with public health, went on for a Ph.D. and really met one of my role models there, Dr. Hazel Johnson Brown. She was the first African-American general um, in the Army. And uh, she was quite astounding. And she was the first person in my PhD program who said, don't look, um, you know, don't look in front of you. Don't look behind you. But you're the leader now. So start marching forward. And I never really thought too much about it before I had her. And um, it was during my PhD, April, that I had to do a health policy um, internship, so to speak, because my my PhD is in a nursing administration health policy, and that brought me to the federal government um, to do work there. And it was there where I fell in love with policy, and I, I worked there. I started a primary care policy fellowship, and um, you know that's where the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation found me. So they they brought me to Princeton, New Jersey. And I began to work there, not in nursing. I mean, we weren't really doing a lot in nursing at the foundation at the time, but physician workforce development. But eventually, when that nursing shortage hit, I think it was around the late 90s, mm-hmm. I began to think, well, you know, we're the largest healthcare foundation in the country, the world, really. And if we can't support nursing, and their role in, um, you know, helping Americans be uh, more healthy, then I don't know what profession can. So um, I talked our leadership into a a first report, Healthcare's Human Crisis, the American Nursing Shortage. And that was really beginning of all the nursing work at the foundation. And from that time, we did so many things, transforming care at the bedside and um, quality and safety education and nursing, so many things, executive nurse fellows, nurse faculty scholars, and on and on and on and on and on. So much for the nursing profession. Wow. Wow. And, and just when you're describing all that, I just think, how do you even have time to do anything for you? I'm looking at you today, you're almost on a pedestal and we look up to you and all that you've done for our profession And I just wonder a little bit more about you, Sue. Tell us 
Are you, do you have any hobbies or interests? Are you just writing these reports all the time? No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> I have, I've, I've learned to be more balanced. Um, you know, sadly, I, I wasn't really going to mention this, but four and a half years ago, I lost my husband in a bicycle accident and I was working very hard and doing a lot at the foundation and all over the country. And when something like that happens to you, um, your world stops. And my world did for quite some time. And I was on a pretty profound grief journey. And really, it was at that time when I thought, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've got to take care of myself because myself is what I have now. Um, and so I was always very active, you know, hiking, biking, swimming, um, doing all kinds of things, traveling. Um, very, very active, but I really had to learn how to, you know, look inward and really um, take good care of myself. And, and that's, that's the journey that I've stayed on, on today. And, and actually, you know, I wrote a book about it, you know, resetting an unplanned journey of love, loss and living again about what I went through and the lessons that I learned. So it was, wow. it was, it was quite something. Wow. Well, I, I think just that message right there is really what we need to hear today. Um, we're all racing in a direction and marching forward, as you say. And um, that's a very nice message to hear. It's nice to hear that coming from you, that you did take time to reset and, uh, and move forward in a very different way and, and, and have some balance. And so um, that's good to start off this conversation, just saying, okay, let's start here. And then let's look back and, and talk a little bit more about what you're doing now with the Future of Nursing Report. And I, I, I know we wanted to get right into this, and this is certainly a topic that's very relevant, great interest, and everybody's wanting to hear all the details and, and how you got to uh, writing this. And it's very powerful, actually. And I wanted to just, re for, the, for the sake of our audience, I was particularly drawn to recommendation number four as a nurse practitioner. And so I'd like to read that, uh, that particular recommendation. It's very, very powerful. All organizations should enable nurses to practice to the full extent of their education and training by removing barriers that prevent them from more fully addressing social needs and social determinants of health and improving healthcare access, quality, and value. Now, when I think about this and just in what you've shared already, this is very much what nurses do. This is who we are. Mm -hmm. This is part of our makeup and why we went into what we do and why your mom went into what she did and That's you right. following That's in her right. footsteps. And so when yeah. you read this, it's, it's how, 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 why would we not be able to practice to our full extent? Because this is such good work. Well, that's a very good question. I know that there are uh, a lot of contextual issues around this. You know, I want to mention um, for your audience in case they don't know, I hope they do know, but in 2010, because I'm going to link it to what you just uh, read, obviously, in 2010, I helped lead the first Future of Nursing report. So I was assigned to an organization in Washington, D.C., it was then known as the Institute of Medicine. Now it's called the National Academy of Medicine. Mm -hmm. And I 
led um, the uh, committee on that first report, The Future of Nursing, Leading Change, Advancing Health. And in that report, we talked a lot about um, this recommendation that, that all nurses should practice at the top of their education and training. And it, it got a lot of traction, but I will tell you that in the 10 years now that I've directed this uh, campaign for action with AARP, um, an organization um, that we started, the Center to Champion Nursing in America, after that first report to really work on the recommendations. So many recommendations, we are at a tipping point, like getting more nurses to a baccalaureate. This recommendation that you read, April, we are not yet to a tipping point. Um, we have a little over about half the states in our country that allow, this is how I say this, that allow nurse practitioners to do what they learned in school. Okay, isn't right. that amazing that we don't let nurse practitioners do what they learn in school? But there's a lot of mitigating factors. We know that um, um, state medical societies, the American Medical Association, um, in particular, has a campaign now called Stop the Creep. And um, there's a, a lot of pushback from physicians. Interestingly, because nurse practitioners and, and um, physicians, I find, work very well on the front lines. So it's sort of a political issue. And not only are there legislative barriers to nurse practitioners practicing to the full extent of their education and training, but there are, this is really important, there are institutional barriers as well. So you'll find in states like Washington and Oregon, where nurse practitioners have full practice authority, there are still institutional barriers that prevent them from uh, doing what they learned in school. And one more point here, <clears throat> in this new report that just came out, um, The Future of Nursing, 2020-2030, charting a path to health equity. Everything in this new report, there had to be evidence. This is really important. In order to make recommendations at the National Academy of Medicine, every single recommendation has to be evidence-based. And in this case, it has to relate directly to how it pertains to health equity in this country. Okay. So let's make that connection now. Mm -hmm. um, um, what we're saying is if nurse practitioners and all nurses, all nurses, if they can't practice to the top of their education and training, then there are access issues and quality issues. If you have access issues, it generally affects uh, people, um, you know, of color, of uh, low so socioeconomic status. So, so you can see that we had to put this recommendation in the report again because it had a direct link to health equity in this country. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a study that I like to quote sometimes that found that if all states enabled nurse practitioners to uh, practice to the full extent of their education, advanced clinical training, and national certification, the number of residents living in this country with a primary care shortage would decrease. 
from 44 million to fewer than 13 million, a 70% reduction if every nurse practitioner in this country were allowed to practice to the top of uh, his or her education and training. And we could reduce the primary care shortage by 70% by removing barriers. Um, and 27 states now choose not to act on that. You know, when I talk to policymakers, and, and uh, it's, it's really important um, to say that, you know, we have a lot of evidence that nurses can do this, that nurse practitioners can do this. Um, but it's going to take more than evidence. It's going to take stories, and it's going to take stories from consumers, especially in policymakers' uh, regions, uh, about how their constituents are not getting um, access to care. I tell policymakers that it's a horrible return on investment if, if um, organizations like the federal government, the state government, foundations, healthcare institutions are all helping to fund nurses go back to school, nurses and nurse practitioners, and if they then come out of school and can't practice what they learn, that's a horrible financial return on investment. And that's the right. point I like to make. This is absolutely astounding, and it puzzles me every day. I mean, you're very right. Today, there's over 84 million Americans that lack access to care. This yeah. is a very big part of the solution. And why we aren't moving there more rapidly is, is, is the puzzle. And, and you mentioned the tipping point, the tipping point at which those other states, and, and most recently, Delaware, uh, achieved yeah. full practice authority, which was fantastic. And those residents in Delaware have more access to care. And now we can provide care without those barriers and be able to provide that care to everyone everywhere. And That's so right. really addressing the, the health equity issues. That's and so right. you mentioned right. the, the tipping point and the stories. And and I, I know um, at, our, at AANP, the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, we we collect these stories. We have a whole campaign as well. We oh, choose NPs and you go there and, and you can read these very compelling stories of nurse practitioners and their patients. And oh my goodness, over the last 18, 19 months, that's only been magnified with everything that nurse practitioners have been doing in the community um, throughout the pandemic. And so I very interesting about the tipping point. And I know that that takes a lot. It's not just our community. We have to have partners. And you mentioned AARP and you mentioned the, the Robert Woods Johnson's Foundation. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so why would an association like AR, AARP, why, why would they want to join in this work? What, what, tell us a little bit more about that and the population they serve and why nurse practitioners might impact that population. Oh my goodness, yeah. Well, this is going to be a short answer, and I'm going to start with it just makes sense. It just makes sense. They are the largest consumer-based organization in the world. They have many millions of members, and um, they have wonderful uh, material that um, people like me you have to be over 55, right, or 50. So I, so I make that. I'm raising my hand. Um, but they have wonderful information 
um, to give and tools and resources for consumers all over the world. And they care about the health of their population. They know that if they can keep a healthy population, um, then there will be a lot of well-being and uh, happiness. And, um, you know, it just it just makes sense. So they really want um, all of their consumers to have a nurse whenever they need uh, whenever they need one and wherever they need one. And that is their their mantra. And they believe wholeheartedly, um, you know, over, let me see, oh my goodness, over 12 years ago now, we started with Robert Wood Johnson Foundation funding a center at AARP called the Center to Champion Nursing in America. And this is where the campaign is based, this Future of Nursing campaign. So they've been really supported, supportive of, uh, of nurses in this country. And, um, you know, if you look at their literature, they, they have some stories themselves. And they are. And, and I, I join you in the, in the over 50 group. And, and, and this is definitely a organization that having their partnership, um, my, what we can do together and, um, definitely a population that nurse practitioners impact every day. And, um, that's my background as an adult geriatric um, oh, that's great. patient. So I absolutely love this and, and certainly have joined um, the community as well. You know, we're so we're so happy that we uh, partnered with AERP. I'll tell you why. Robert Wood Johnson Foundation as a national foundation cannot lobby. If, if you're supported by tax dollars, as foundation is, um, you know, we... Um, we can't lobby. We have to be nonpartisan. So in involving AARP in our partnership, they can, not with our funding, but they can on their own lobby. So they're, they call them red shirts. They're consumers. They're mm -hmm, red mm -hmm, shirts. Mm -hmm. They right. have flooded the states, and they have really been a big part of um, helping to create what I hope is coming uh, with this tipping point with full practice authority. I really wanted to put in a, a, a further plug for, for them. Well, a deep appreciation for those red shirts. And I think as we partner together, we can um, reach that tipping point that you so eloquently describe um, that we will get there. It's just one step at a time and one partnership at a time and very powerful partnerships like we have with AARP and very valuable partnerships. And, and speaking of, of value, you mentioned earlier the value that, that nurse practitioners bring to their patients and they've been able to show over decades their, um, the value that they bring as well as their patient outcomes are positive. They're very effective in their mm -hmm. care. And this yeah. has been shown over and over again. And the other day, as you and I were, were talking a little bit, you mentioned the connection of all of where we're going. How do we connect nurse practitioners and these their impact in terms of the solutions that we're talking about to improve access to high-quality, effective care? How do we connect nurse practitioners and where the country is going in terms of value-based care? Yeah, yeah, that's... That's a great question. I, I, you know, I think we all wish we could get there sooner rather than later. 
Uh, we're still um, bogged down with the fee-for-service system. But I will tell you, April, that when, uh, when there are regions in, in our country that are operating, operating under value-based care, and we, when we get there in a more significant way, we're not to a tipping point on this either, um, you know, you'll see that nurses and nurse practitioners will play an even more valuable role because what value-based care means really is that a region, a specific region, if you will, um, to really simplify matters, gets a, a budget, a pot of money um, to create healthcare outcomes in their population. And they have to be really smart with that part, pot of money. Um, and so to do that, um, you know, in, in a really smart way, they will use what I call the pyramid approach, which is um, if you need a medical assistant, use a medical assistant. If you need a nurse's aide or, or an RN, use that and then work your way up. Maybe there's a public health nurse, a nurse practitioner, and then a physician, and then specialty physicians. But be smart around the care and the dollars that you spend. I think we're pretty um, spoiled in this country, um, many of us, and we, we want to rush right to specialists. Um, and, and doctors too, but specialists, um, and they're very, very costly. We have the most expensive health system in the world, as you know, as everyone knows. Right. And um, other countries have better outcomes with far less expenditure of resources. And they really provide a lot of that basic prevention care, uh, public health services, by RNs and then nurse practitioners. And then when people need doctors and specialists, that's where the money gets spent. Right. And that's value-based care. And, and, and value-based care as we, and it does seem like we will move in that direction because consumers, patients will ask. They, they want that value in their care. And so we will be moving in that direction and at the same time, we will see nurse practitioners being able to demonstrate that value and be very much a part of where we're going in the future. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing nurse practitioners are great at um, is collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. Chronic care management, team-based care, transitional mm -hmm. care, all of right. these things. And in a value-based system, all of these things are going to make sense. And um, this is where nurse practitioners are going to shine. That's right. They already That's are. Right. They already are. They are. They're shining and they are really um, making a big difference in, in healthcare today and will continue to do so as we link arms with nurses and our other healthcare partners. We will move in that direction. And I just wanted to kind of wrap up with another just absolutely beautiful statement in the report. And again, just my just admiration for all of you and putting this together. It's really helped to boost everyone in a direction. And we have a vision of where we want to go in the future. That's good. I like to hear that. We have a vision. <laughs> I like and to hear so that. You state, and, and I love this. I love this quote. So I'm going to read it again. It says over the next 10 years. So that's, that's pretty close. Over the next 10 years, nurses will assume even greater responsibility for helping to build an accessible, equitable, high quality public health and healthcare system 
that works for everyone. Aimed at ensuring nurses are inspired, they're supported, they're valued, and they're empowered in pursuing goals so that all individuals and communities will have the opportunities they need to live healthy lives. And so I just think this is such a compelling vision. And will we, do you feel that we will get there? Well, I I will tell you that um, to me, this is what nurses and nursing is all about. Um, We We've always cared for the whole patient. We've always cared for the for the family. We know that families come from communities. Nurses really understand this. So achieving health equity, um, we may not be able to do it in our lifetime for everyone, but this has got to be our North Star. Uh, we've experienced, April, the devastation of this pandemic and our, co- and our country's collective failure to prevent sickness and death. And we've got to come away from this experience vowing to do better, to say never again, and to leave the world a better place for our children and our our grandchildren. So we're committing to a task that, you know, as I said, uh, may not be completed in, in my lifetime, but one where many of us working together, the nursing profession, four million strong, Um, In all corners of this country and world, Mm -hmm. we can lay the groundwork for creating a healthier and more compassionate America for everyone. And I truly believe that every single person can make a difference. And my hope is that this report uh, will inspire all nurses and partners within and outside of healthcare to advance health equity so that one day, again, all individuals will have an opportunity to live a healthier life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end by saying that um, we've got to learn, too, April, to work with other sectors. Um, you know, when we're talking about achieving health equity in this country, we're talking about um, feeding people, housing people, transporting people. Um, uh, issues around social isolation. So there are these Mm -hmm. determinants that affect a person's health, whether they have something to eat, whether they have green space to play, whether it's safe in their neighborhood. These are the things that nurses are going to have to say, yeah, this is what counts. And I'm going to get involved in other Mm -hmm. sectors so that uh, we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this has just been wonderful speaking with you today. And I think those words of wisdom are exactly what uh, nurse practitioners need to hear. We need that inspiration. You were definitely inspired in the writing of the Future of Nursing Report 2020-2030. And I feel truly that it is our North Star. And I feel that we can get there. And like the words of your mentor all those years ago, move forward, march forward, don't look back. That's That's what we need to be doing. That's That's exactly what we need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Let's do it. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's just been so nice to speak with you. And I look forward to hearing more from you in different presentations, podcasts, conferences, as you move forward in these next few months. I really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Loved being here with you.
Thank you, Susan. You are an inspiration to so many of our listeners, and your passion for improving healthcare is evident every time you speak. Check out the podcast description on whichever platform you're listening on for links to resources from this episode. If you haven't already, I urge you to read the Future of Nursing 2020-2030 report and then browse through AAMP's state advocacy resources to see ways in which you can get involved. We all have a part to play in strengthening the NP role. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm.